Thanks, Katie. Well, hey, good morning. If I have not met you before, my name is David Smith. I'm the lead pastor here. Happy Easter to everybody. And as we get going today, <clears throat> I want you to imagine something. Just, just pretend with me for a quick second. What I want you to imagine is that the disciples of Jesus decided to have a funeral for Jesus the day after his death on the cross. And so with the body still in the tomb, like how would they even begin to summarize his life in this scenario? Like, well, he wasn't everything we asked for, but you know, we'll remember him forever. He was a good friend, a wonderful teacher. And in the end, only death, not the Romans, not the Jews, not the persecutors, but only death could silence him. Maybe those are some of the things they would have said, we'll never know because nobody ever planned a funeral for Jesus. But there was a visit by one person and this person was probably the most unlikely, but the bravest of the bunch, Mary Magdalene. We read about her in John chapter 20, verse one. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and this other disciple known as John start running for the tomb. Like kids, I want you to picture an Olympic sprinter, like running as fast as they possibly can. Urgency, conviction, passion, Peter and John are off and they make it to the empty tomb, but it's not completely empty because what they find in there are these strips of linen and this wrapping cloth that Jesus' body had been in. And when they saw it, the scripture says they believed something, but I love the next line. They didn't really understand what they believed. And so they went back home, but Mary stayed put. Something was keeping her there. If you ever had that moment before where you just kind of stay put because you just get this sense there's something more. Here's what we read in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, so woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away and I don't know where they have put him. At this, Mary turned around and she saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Now thinking that Jesus was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you put him so I can go get him. And Jesus said to her, just one word, he says her name, Mary. And the moment that Mary hears her name from the lips of her Messiah, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus, it's you. Jesus said, Mary, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news and she said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Well, thank goodness, right? that nobody had a funeral for this man. Because if you'd had a funeral for Jesus, 
the words of that funeral would not have been a summary of his life. They would have been a short changing of his sovereignty because the summary had now changed. It was no longer only death could silence him. The summary was now not even death could defeat him. Jesus died to rise so we can live. That's what Easter is all about. And so Jesus was alive. And so therefore a new message needed to be preached. It would come to be known as the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but he rose again three days later to offer us eternal life. And the first person to proclaim this good news was a woman from Magdala named Mary, as she took the truth back to the disciples. And so no matter what you think of Mary's history, because it seems like nobody can agree on her history, here's something everyone can agree on, is that this was a marginalized individual. Women at that time were seen as less, yet here she was, the first person in the history of the world to communicate the complete good news of the gospel. Yeah, if you're going to put a plaque above your bed or on your desk, wow, what an accomplishment, what a blessing, a privilege that would be. Not only did Jesus die, but he rose from the grave. The resurrection doesn't just change the message, but it changes who are the messengers moving forward. And so for Mary, her role as the underdog messenger was not something she experienced all by herself. In fact, a few years later, a gentleman named Saul, the persecutor of the church, he would eventually become Paul, the apostle of Christ. And he encountered the resurrected savior on the way to Damascus. And in that moment for Paul, everything changed. I don't know if you've had that moment before, I have, where you experience something and everything moving forward is now different. And so Paul went from persecuting the church to planting churches and bringing the message of Jesus, not only in person, but he did a lot of it through letters. And one of those letters was to the church in Galatia. And we've been studying it for the last four weeks here at North Star. We also went through it in our reading plan. And Paul was writing to the Galatian church because what had happened is that this church was starting to believe that in order for their souls to be saved, what they needed was Jesus plus the works of the law in order to spend eternity with God. And specifically, they needed Jesus plus circumcision in order to be saved. Now, we never mentioned this during our series, but it's worth bringing up now. Think about just how idiotic of a statement this is. Because what the Judaizers are saying is that you need circumcision to be saved. Circumcision is an old covenant custom only for men. So what does that say about their view of women? That they can't be saved? That they're not worth the time and the energy? Like what a bunch of bozos. Like you've just alienated half the planet. But that's where they're at. And so Paul knows that he has to write to the Galatian church and we need to reset this equation because the real equation is because of the resurrection, Jesus plus nothing is enough for our souls to be saved. Because without the resurrection, like of course we're gonna need something outside of Jesus because how can a man who can't even save himself from death How's he going to save our souls? And the answer is, he's not. Paul carries this message all the way to the end of Galatians. It is on repeat, chapter after chapter. In fact, if your parents here, why do you say the same thing to your kids over and over and over again? 
It's because either they don't understand, right? Or maybe they just don't care. And so Paul's got this on repeat to let them know, you got to care because this is so important. If we don't get this foundation, everything else crumbles. And so he's carrying this equation, Jesus plus nothing, all the way through this book. And in the final words of the final chapter, Paul is still combating this claim that we need anything other than Jesus to be a new creation in Christ. Here's what it says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 13. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. This is interesting. Paul's saying the Judaizers are not just hypocrites, but they're actually trying to pad their stats. You guys know what I mean by that? They're like working on commission, as if there's an award ceremony at the end of the year, and hey, whoever gets the most men circumcised, there's going to be a steak dinner and a trophy for you. Like they're just working on commission. They're padding their stats. But Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What he's saying is because Jesus defeated death on the cross, I don't need anything the world offers for my soul to be saved. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. In other words, all that matters is the new creation because the old creation personified through Adam and Eve, spoiler alert, it didn't work. Just go read Genesis chapter three. God breathes into dust, humanity sins, and the relationship is lost. But in the new creation, God breathes into our soul through Jesus and the relationship is now eternal. I almost hate to admit this, but, but over the years, I've had multiple meetings with different pastors where we have sat in a group and have argued and debated on what is the greatest act of God of all time. Is it the resurrection or is it the crucifixion? Pretty interesting debate. Like what's actually most important? And if you get in that debate, you'll find yourself about five to 10 minutes in recognizing nobody can win this conversation because they're both of equal value. One's not greater than the other. You've got to have both. If you get rid of the, uh, the crucifixion, there's no dead body to resurrect. And if you get rid of the resurrection, we're just stuck with a stinky dead body. You've got to have both. They're both of equal value, but there is a difference. And that's what we can't skip over. And the difference is this, is that the cross is not necessarily the new creation. And what I mean by that is that on the cross, the old creation dies. And from the empty tomb, that's where the new creation came. Now, when Paul talks about new creation, what he's talking about here is a new nature that we take on. It's a new kind of person, eternal heirs of the King, who through the saving faith of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore will actually resurrect after death and live with God forever. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. But here's the thing, not just saved to experience resurrection down the road, but saved to bring that kind of power right now on earth as it is in heaven. Now we saw a little snapshot of this a few weeks ago, and it's a little bit more of a supernatural example. It can be natural, it can be supernatural, it can be big and be small. But for this morning, two weeks ago, Katie, who just did announcements, was on stage. She's our women's pastor. And she just got this sense that morning. 
She goes, I know this sounds crazy, but I just get the sense that there's somebody here that's got an injury to the right shoulder. Is there anyone here who has pain in the right shoulder and would like prayer? We'd love to see if God would potentially heal you this morning. Who knows? And so some people actually raised their hand. Like, yeah, I've got right shoulder pain. And then she said, if you got any other ailments, just love for you to stand up and we'd love to pray for you. Now, I love that it's been a few weeks because it's allowed us to go back to some of these people and say, hey, you said you experienced some healing that morning. Are you still feeling like you were healed? I didn't get to track down everybody, but I did talk to six different people this week. And not only did they feel like they experienced healing that morning, they're still feeling pretty good. My favorite story, though, was from a gentleman who said, you know, a week before that moment, he was at prophetic prayer and communion. And during that evening, someone had prayed for him. And they just said, I'm not saying thus said the Lord. They just said, I get the sense that the Lord is going to use you for healing, which maybe was hard for him to believe. I don't know. But then that morning, as Katie is kind of leading us through this prayer time, she says, if you've got pain, stand up. And a woman sitting right next to him stood. And then Katie said, if someone is standing next to you, would you stand up and pray for them? And so here he is seven days later after getting this prophetic word from somebody, and he's got his hand on her shoulder praying, and she gets healed on the spot. So not only is she overjoyed, can you imagine what he's thinking? Wait a minute, seven days ago, somebody said, and he, oh my goodness. But here's the thing, as great as those stories are, there's a couple questions that follow on the heel. And the questions that we could be asking is, but wasn't there hundreds of people in the room that morning watching online? Why did only six get some sort of healing? And why is it was God healing right shoulders that morning and not cancer? Like, that doesn't make sense. And here... I am this morning up here just to admit to all of you, I don't know the answer to those questions. I just don't. But what I do know and what we can continue to bank on is that because Jesus rose from the grave, we can experience that power right now. The pain can become praise because here's what the resurrection is all about. The resurrection is an agent of sacred and holy change. And so if we subtract the resurrection from our story, we all suffer every single one of us, because without the resurrection, the cross, it's just the sight of a good man's death. Without the resurrection, the disciples, I don't think they find the courage to come out of hiding and start broadcasting their faith in the face of death. And without the resurrection, Saul, the persecutor of the church, isn't compelled to change. I know in my own life, without the resurrection, I never would have been compelled to change. And these kind of changes are still happening today. Here at North Star, we've got groups called Pathway Groups. If you don't know what those are, they're kind of like our small group ministry. And uh, we've been saying throughout this whole series, Jesus plus nothing is enough for our souls to be saved. But once you step into that relationship, you actually need much more than Jesus to continue to become more and more like him. You need other people, you need encouragement, you need challenge, you need the Sabbath, you need the scriptures, just fill in the blank. So for me, my pathway group has been part of that journey of be trying just to become more and more like Jesus. And so about eight months ago, my pathway group, we were all picking the different discipleship tracks we wanted to work on. 
wanted to practice, I chose evangelism, showing God's love to those who don't know him. And it's something I just have never been great at. And so for the first week, I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna start praying, God, would you just bring people my way? Would you just bring people who do not have a relationship with you? Part of it is like, I wish I had the courage to go out and find them, but Lord, I need you, I'm weak. Humbly, would you just help me here? And so about a week later, I get this email. And the email said something along the lines of, hey, I'm an atheist, I live in the city of Cincinnati, and I'm curious if you and I could get together and I'd like to come up on the stage on a Sunday and debate with you the existence of God. And he also added, I think all Christians are con artists, especially pastors, they're just in it for the money. Which by the way, like, can you blame people for thinking some of those thoughts today? Like, yeah, a little bit of grace there, okay. And so my first thought was as my finger was on the mouse, I thought, you know, the, the delete button is just right there. I could, but I thought back to my pathway group. Wait a minute, this is what I just asked God for. So I ended up emailing back and said, well, instead of jumping on the stage, let's grab coffee first, let's do that. And we sat down and like within the first 10 minutes or so, I'm like, I really like this guy. I really, really, really like him. And so he was very honest with me and said, hey, because of my views as an atheist, most of my family are believers, there's been some tension there. And so we just really didn't debate. We just kind of got to know each other's stories and started hanging out. Once a month, we'd get together, build a friendship. And about six months into the friendship, I get an email one night and I don't remember exactly what it said, but it was something along the lines of, David, you probably aren't gonna believe this, but your atheist friend was in a moment of despair, depression the other night. And as I was so down, like I've never felt in a long time, he invited a family member over who was a follower of Jesus to pray for him. Just that desperate, right? Don't believe in God, but come over and pray. Which by the way, what does that say about the family member who said, I can put the tension aside and come and love someone who's in a hurt spot. And then he goes on to say, as I was getting prayer, I felt something release. And as that family member left, he said, I don't know if it was audible, if it was in my heart, it was God saying, are you done yet? And just come to me, are you done yet? And so in the email, he told me that he surrendered his life to Jesus. And he's been in our pathway group ever since. So praise God. Can I tell that story okay? It's all right? It's amazing that, you know, as we were talking about that story, especially in our pathway group the other night, you know, the one thing that's not in it is at no point does God say, hey, clean up your mess, then come to me. Like that's never part of the equation. God says, just come to me. We'll get to the mess, right? We'll clean it up. We'll get to it sooner than later, but just come to me. And the reason I know that is that was my story at 19 years old. What a mess. And God said, just, just come, just come to me. We'll get to the mess. God and I are still cleaning it up today. And so if you feel like you're in a mess today, maybe that's why you're here. A mess in your marriage, a mess with your health, a mess with kids or work, whatever it may be. God is saying, just come, it's okay. 
the new creation is waiting. And the way that we come and we say yes, it's just starting with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender it all to you. That you died on the cross for, our, for my sins and you rose again three days later to offer me eternal life. And I receive that gift. There's nothing I can do to earn it. I don't deserve it, but I receive it. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight to nine says, we are saved by grace through faith. This is not anything from ourselves, but a gift from God, not by work. So no one can boast. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. And if you haven't prayed that prayer, if you haven't made that decision, receive that gift, we're gonna have folks up here today, come see me. We would love to tell you more. We would love to pray for you. You can pray that prayer on your own, but to be able to do so in community is such an easier step forward. And so when I struggle to grasp just how scandalous this gift of God really is, what I do is I remind myself of one person. This helps me so much. It's the thief on the cross. Do you guys know the story that when Jesus is being crucified, there is a thief on both his right and his left. And one of those thieves decides that the very last moment of his life to put his faith in Jesus. And here's the thing that's so amazing about that. Not only does he put his faith in Jesus and Jesus says, today I'll see you in paradise, but there's no time to work on your resume, to prove your merit, to clean up the mess. There's no time for that at all. There's only time for the thief to answer the call that God gives in his life. And I wanna show you a quick video because this pastor, his name's Alistair Begg, says it so much better than I can. Let's watch this. And think about the thief on the cross. I went on a mess. I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You'd never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, like, because I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you? Excuse me, let me get the supervisor. They go get the supervisor. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are, are you... Are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you leaving? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, Because of the resurrection, Jesus plus ashes equals beauty. Jesus plus death equals life. Jesus plus nothing is enough for our soul to be saved. And this is not a license to just say some prayer and go back to being our own king. It is a life-changing, kingdom-declaring proclamation about the risen king and his unending love for each and every one of us. So let's stand as we close. We're gonna spend these last few minutes worshiping Jesus who trembled the darkness, overcame death,
And as we do this, I want you to imagine one last thing. If you gotta close your eyes, close your eyes. But imagine the passion that thief must have sang with when he arrived in heaven as a new creature.